Well, welcome, Mark. Uh, we're going to talk today about the standards for RTOs 2015. Uh, this version that we've downloaded from uh, the legislation website, which is the place to go for any current updates on legislation. Don't go to links from other sources because they might not be the correct version. Uh, and we are going to uh, really just address standard number one today. Uh, so to start with, I'll read through standard one. Uh, I'll put a copy of it up on the screen, but for those of you who are listening to the podcast, please just follow along with your own copy of this. So RTO standard number one reads, the RTO's training and assessment strategies and practices are responsive to industry and learner needs and meet the requirements of training packages and the VET uh, and VET accredited courses. So as an overarching statement, what does this say to you? What, what's this standard about to be about? Is making sure that any training delivered meets the requirements of the training package and the requirements of industry. So that an industry can have confidence and assurance that any graduate that comes to them has the skills and the knowledge to be able to perform the, um, the tasks that's required for that job industry. Yeah, so that's what it's outlining and that's what we hope to achieve. So in the blue area here, it talks about the context uh, and this is really important. So from uh, this part, we get a sense of where this particular part or standard uh, is going to start impacting RTOs. So I'll read through this. It says the context. Learners, employers and industry must have confidence in the integrity, currency and value of certification documents issued by RTOs through high quality training and assessment practices that... Number one, meet the requirements of training packages and VET accredited courses. Number two, are responsive to industry and learner needs. And three, are delivered by appropriately qualified trainers and assessors with the right support services, facilities, and equipment. Okay, there's quite a bit. There is. Uh, the RTO's training assessment strategies and practices must have regard to the amount of training required for the learner to gain the competencies as specified in the relevant training package. The amount of training will depend on the existing skills and knowledge of the learner, the mode of delivery, and include any work placement arrangements. To ensure thorough and rigorous assessment practices and results, RTOs must implement a comprehensive plan of systematic validation. So validation is also covered in the standard. That's going to mean everything from who can be at a validation, how often uh, we validate, what we should validate, and that sort of thing. So this is all covered in standard one, which I think is great probably the most important standard for any starting RTO. RTOs must use a risk-based approach to developing the plan, considering risk indicators such as potential safety concerns to clients from an assessment outcome that is not valid, the mode of delivery, changes to training packages and or licensing requirements. Okay, so that's uh, taking us back to the whole work health and safety thing. So we have to make sure as an RTO that we are doing things with a risk-based approach. Uh, from a compliance standpoint, those of you who are in any sort of compliance role will understand what risk-based approach is. For trainers and assessors out there, it might not be as obvious, but we do cover it a little bit in the cert for. What would you say when it talks about developing the plan considering risk indicators? Uh, there's so much to that topic. Um, I would say that any training delivered within the RTO is risk managed, so to speak. Also, if there's any training being delivered off-site or on a client site, that is certainly uh, managed and documented as well within the training assessment strategy. Also, that um, any student or learner going through a course develops an awareness around safety, an awareness around uh, working safely in, back in the workplace. Mm. And that's um, certainly... 
uh, incorporated as part of the qualification that they undertake as well. I think that um, safety is pervasive and is a topic that goes throughout all documents uh, within the RTO and also as part of the training assessment strategy itself. Yes. Okay. So just going back to the Cert 4 for a second, we do cover safety with respect to both assessment and training. Uh, so I guess that's where it's now regulated. The last couple of uh, paragraphs I'll squish together. It just says trainers and assessors who are involved in training and assessment delivery being considered as part of the validation process may also participate in the validation process. Okay, that's a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, and there are differences in the operating characteristics and business objectives of RTOs and the evidence RTOs use to demonstrate compliance with this standard will reflect those differences. What does that last thing say? What does it mean? I think it's trying to allow for different um, contexts of RTOs and different different business objectives that they may have. I agree with you. And, mm. uh, and we'll get into that when we go into the standard. So the rest of the standard now pulls apart that context and tells us exactly what needs to be done at each, uh, I, I guess, each of those three points that are at the top of that um, context box. And then uh, a bit more detail for RTO operators and trainers. So we're going to get into some of that now, not the entire standard because it'll go for too long, but we'll definitely cover some of the highlights, so to speak. So let's make a start. Well, without any further ado, let's get into standard 1.1. Uh, I'll read it and then we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll see uh, if there's any advice we can offer RTOs from our experience uh, in how to meet these. So 1.1 says that the RTO's training assessment strategies and practices, including the amount of training that they provide, are consistent with the requirements of the training packages and VET courses and enable each learner to meet the requirements for each unit of competency or module in which they're enrolled. Okay, what does that mean? 1.1, I think, is a very fascinating one. I, that may sound geeky as I say that, but um, just knowing the history of VET and knowing that in previous, um, I guess, generations, if I can use that word, volume of learning and length of time for um, training was not really um, looked at so specifically. And I think 1.1 is one that really speaks to volume of learning and... I think, uh, although it doesn't specifically mention it, this is where correlation with the AQF and uh, the stipulations on how long uh, different certificate level courses should go for, certificate one, two, three, four, diploma, and the length of time that um, students should be trained and assessed really comes into play with 1.1. Yes. It does mention specifically the training assessment strategies and practices. So I'm inferring that the strategy here refers to the um, strategy document and so this is talking about how are we documenting the amount of hours that a student undertakes and does it align to those suggestions or stipulations as part of the AQF. Yeah okay so th this is where I'm going to differ a little bit uh, because I agree with you I agree that that's probably what it's hinting at is uh, by the way it's got to enable each learner to meet the requirements but this is where a creative good RTO can say you know what we want people to come out of the other side of this training knowing what they need to know and doing what they need to do. If we go back to the prescriptions, I'll call them, of the AQF where it says what the nominal amount of time should be spent on a particular certificate is, then I think we get railroaded by that and think, oh, it's got to be six months, got to be 12 months, got to be 24 months. And we actually end up doing two things. Firstly, making it cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. And secondly, stretching out the training longer than it actually needs to be to get someone ready for a job. Mm. That's, that's my slightly different take to it. Uh, only again through experience, there are many, and you'll agree with this because you're from the same sort of area as I am, but when it comes to knowledge evidence in most units of competency, 
When you look at a qualification, the knowledge evidence often overlaps from unit to unit to unit mm. and maybe only slightly varied. Maybe it's the context or the approach of what you're supposed to know. If you just trained unit by unit, sure, it could drag out. And what you'd find, especially when it comes to work health and safety matters, because they're usually addressed in every single unit of competency, you'd find yourself going over the same thing over and over. So when I read this, I think I actually get a bit of um, positivity from that last sentence saying, we just want the the students to, to meet the outcomes that the unit of competency wanted. Mm. How you do that now is up to your training and assessment strategy. Yeah. So that's how I read that one. Absolutely. And I think one trap that RTOs can fall into is creating fluff. And what I mean by that is trying to extend out a course with extra learning activities, all these different things, packing that into this has because it says the AQF requirement says it has to be this long. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're going to put anything into the TAS as a mentioned activity or an, um, a task, make sure it's um, valuable for the learner. Make sure it actually leads to them meeting those requirements, but is an um, valuable add-on, um, not just a fluff activity throwing in there, if that kind of makes sense. It Dan. does. And that's where, when we review training packages, people come back and say, well, you know, we should only have X amount of people in this, mm. or we should only do it this many times or whatever. That's the chance for the industry to come back and say, you know what, people aren't competent after doing it once, they need to do it three times or whatever. Mm. And that's where we get the opportunity to, to push that requirement, so to speak, for the job role. Mm. Uh, so 1.2 says, for the purposes of that previous clause, the RTO determines the amount of training they need to provide. So it tells you now that, okay, the RTO determines. Uh, with regard to the existing skills, knowledge, and experience of the learner, this is great. So this is where RPL comes in, mm. RCC comes in, and also where you can sometimes cluster uh, units of competency together. Uh, the mode of delivery, mm -hmm. okay, what is the best mode? Of, and, and as a Cert four trainee, you're, you're discussing what a mode of delivery is early on in the course, and you're thinking to yourself, what is the best mode of delivery? And finally, where a full qualification is not being offered, the number of units and or modules being delivered as a portion of the full qualification. Now that goes straight back to the AQF because that's in the way we actually issue statements of attainment, skill sets, and so on. So the mode of delivery, it just says that the RTO needs to determine the mode of delivery. So it's up to our expertise, so to speak. So when you're training someone in the Cert 4, what do you say about choosing the mode of delivery for your particular training? If I can tie it back to what's relevant and most applicable for that particular learner. And I think 1.1 is related to the qualification and the AQF requirements in general. And then 1.2 is making sure that it's being done specific to that learner's needs. So maybe you have a learner that would be more suited to face-to-face. -to -face. Maybe you have a learner that's more suited to online delivery. And I think for me personally, 1.2 is making sure that you're Part, you are also screening your learners and having a think about their existing skills and knowledge and having a think about, okay, it says a, you know, cert three should take X period of time. Well, yes, but for this learner, it's probably going to take less or more based on what they can bring to the plate when they're actually enrolling as part of their student journey, so to speak. So having that initial conversation about the mode of delivery is also going to impact how long it takes them to do the course potentially. I think it's all about 
screening the students effectively so that you can then assign potential hours of completion or projected, possible, predicted, we can't guarantee, hours for that particular learner compared to a different learner who may take a full amount of time and any time a student finishes earlier, well, you can justify it by saying, Bill Smith, he actually finished um, three months earlier than a typical Cert 4 because he's actually got a master's, a PhD, and has got all this other experience that may come into play. Again, it comes back to the RTO determines. Yes. Uh, the mode of delivery, if an RTO says we're going to do this online and a thousand people out there scream saying, why are you doing it online? But there's another thousand that say, thank God you're doing it online. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's fine. Yeah. As long as? 1.1, mm. you meet the outcomes of the units of competency or accredited units, modules. Definitely. Okay, the last little bit we'll cover today uh, is 1.3, and that says the RTO has, for all of its scope of registration, and consistent with its training and assessment strategies, sufficient. A, trainers and assessors to deliver the training and assessment. B, educational support services to meet the needs of their learners, the cohorts undertaking the training and assessment. Uh, resources to enable learners to meet the requirements of each unit of competency and which are accessible to the learner regardless of location and mode of delivery. And D, facilities where physical or virtual, thank goodness, and equipment to accommodate and support the number of learners undertaking the training assessment. Okay, so again, it's dictating what a, a sensible and responsible RTO should be doing anyway. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, parts A through to D there? Okay, so A, uh, trainers and assessors. Have I, enough? <laughs> uh, yeah, do you have enough of them? And do you have trained assessors with the right qualifications? And that's spoken to at a later stage there. Um, education support services. Um, definitely you want to have those support services for people that need them. Um, and it could tie back into language literacy, numeracy, and digital literacy as well. Um, C, it says learning resources to enable learners to meet the requirements. Well, that probably is going to relate to each of the units of competency, having learning resources available um, that tie back into every performance criteria performance evidence, knowledge evidence, um, so that they are able to um, access the learning materials that can help them to be able to um, develop that knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, D, facilities, whether physical or virtual. Um, I think if you are an RTO that is running face-to-face -face training and you are in multi-locations, you definitely need to make sure that you've got uh, replicatable equipment and also tying that back to the units of competency in the like when it's referred to it in the implementation guide because in the implementation guide it actually lists out the kind of equipments required mm. and uh, for example in first aid it very specifically states exactly the kind of equipment that a first aid trainer needs to have. For D I think it's very important that any RTO has a list of equipment that they have on hand and that they can actually show that in every location they have that equipment available and um, if it's a virtual environment you certainly tell all of your students the um, equipment they're going to need, mm. but it is a tricky one because certainly as an RTO, you can't be expected to provide a laptop, internet, and all those different things. But um, you certainly need to make sure that those kind of IT issues are taken care of if you are delivering face-to-face -face and that equipment is required in a face-to-face -face environment. Yeah, I, I, just to build on that, I think, mm. 
the obvious thing is that a student must have access to the resources and it says yeah whether you're, you're virtual or you're training face to face it doesn't matter they have to have access to them so that's the the word i took there mm. and said okay well how do we make sure they have access to the resources in this world luckily we do have the internet we have high speed internet in most areas therefore sending resources electronically has opened up more learners to be able to undertake our courses for instance those who need to attend for the physical reasons, in other words, they have uh, equipment they need to use and they don't, well, they won't have that at home, then that's a different story. They will go into a, a particular facility, use those resources. I like also what you said about they have to be replicatable across mm. wherever you're actually training. Uh, and I think most RTOs do do that. I mean, they couldn't actually undertake the training if they didn't. Again, it comes down to the RTO, what the RTO can do. So we have to ensure, and it says, we have to have sufficient levels of this. So the trainers and assessors, just going back to that for a second, uh, not only are they competent as uh, in their with their currency and their ability to do the tasks and skills they're training, but also have that competency in the Cert 4 as well. So know really how they uh, should be training certain individuals, a bit like you said in the earlier one about taking note of language literacy and numeracy, um, the variation in student cohorts and that sort of thing. <laughs> so that's just breaking down uh, one point one through to 1.3 and already you can see the sort of discussions that we can have around the standards but it'd be nice that anyone listening to this or watching this on youtube please comment we'd love to see some comments and some discussions start around this maybe what's your experience with other rtos and uh, maybe you're an rto owner what what's your experience been making sure you are compliant with 1.1 through 1.3 Okay, so that's it for now, uh, but we'll come back and go through the rest of this standard at a later stage. So it's a bit more bite-sized for you guys to both listen to and watch, uh, but we'll see you next time.